0: Everything technology, from computers to mobile phones, TVs, and the internet. Information you want, want all the help you you need. Your tech life with Trevor Long. Yeah, g'day and welcome to episode 360 of your tech life. Thanks to the good people at Garmin, satellite navigation, GPS technology, Alcatel, mobile phones, and trend micro security. Now, lots to get through on this show. I am in New York. Um, I'm sitting in my hotel room overlooking a dreary, dreary New York um, day, which is disappointing because it's my last day here and I'm going to head off and I won't get to look around the city because it's awful and wet, but it's been a big week. I'll tell you more about Samsung a little later and uh, full details of that with two blokes talking tech, Um, but there's so much news I wanted to bring you over the last couple of weeks um, that we haven't covered in uh, any other uh, uh, podcast, but uh, ACCC ruling on the banks, Um, Uber's great lost and found uh, technology, Um, the robot deliveries from Domino, Um, news from Microsoft, news from Samsung, news from Ikea. Uh, There is a really smart bloke in Sydney who has created uh, an online map that shows you where every single train, bus and ferry is mind-blowing. Um, I was in Melbourne last week and uh, there was some great new TVs from Hisense. Um, I want to explain in greater detail the Lego Life app uh, for kids. Uh, so those of you with kids or grandkids, um, well worth uh, sticking around for that one. And then finally, um, a little bit of my thoughts again on the LG Wallpaper TV. All that ahead here on this week's edition of Your Tech Life, episode 360. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Let's get cracking. Talking technology without the jargon. Your Your Tech Tech Life Life with Trevor Long. Now, I'm assuming you maybe can just hear, A, the the echo of the room, but also the sirens. Gee whiz, they love their sirens in New York, don't they? Um, But before I get on to the the news, I I just want to address the, the concept of uh, what is your tech life um, these days. I've, I've said it a few times in the last uh, few episodes. I'm really keen to get your feedback because um, I don't really have a great measure of the crossover between one podcast and another for people. So, you know, I have two Bikes talking tech with Stephen Fennec every week where we uh, will spend 30 minutes talking to you about the news of the week. Uh, and uh, obviously this week it's dedicated almost entirely to Samsung. Um I do have a nightly radio show, which is also a podcast. You can listen to that. Uh, just search for Talking Technology on iTunes uh, uh, or Pocket Casts. Um, and uh, again, ratings and reviews are much uh, greatly appreciated on, on iTunes for those shows. The, the full show of Talking Technology is available every single day. And the second podcast is just the two interviews a night that we do. So you don't hear any callers or um, other tech news. So... Thinking about the fact that you have um, you know so many different outlets of content, I hope you can appreciate why uh, it's actually been a bit of a struggle to find um, not not the not the content but the the structure for this show now, one of the challenges is is the open line the talk back callers um, uh, I've still got lots of emails to get through, and we'll get to some of those when I'm back in Sydney next week um, but one of the challenges is the time that I now have available to do the recording is daytime so Harder to get hold of people in the daytime to have a chat about their tech woes, but um, get back on the horse with that next week. But kind of just be interested to hear from you, and you can, uh, you can do that via the website, eftm.com.au, or uh, just hit me up on Twitter, at Trevor Long. Um, just be interested to hear what uh, what you consume. Uh, if this is the only podcast of mine that you consume, please let me know. If you consume everything I do, please, I just want to get a sense little bit of a straw poll as to who's consuming what, where, and when, so uh, so I can help better judge the the content and format of this show. This show has evolved a lot over six or seven years. Um, it did start as a radio show. Um, Your Tech Life originally was my one-hour radio show on 2GB, um, and then after after we stopped doing that, it was a very short, brief, quick look at some tech news. Uh, and then I started bringing in some calls from the radio show into this. Then I worked out how to do it myself at home, and we set up the studio, and it became its own independent thing. So that's, that's all well and good but what does it mean now and how do we? what's the best format going forward? So uh, not, not going anywhere, that's for sure, but just want to make sure that I'm bringing you the best format and also not repeating too much. That's one of my challenges to make sure that I'm not repeating too much for you, um, especially across two blokes talking tech. So really welcome your feedback. Go to the website, pftm.com.au. Now, this morning I woke up um, to news that the ACCC had made a final ruling on the case against the bank's. Um, now, yes, I am uh, more than biased uh, against the banks in this argument because I feel strongly about um, the benefits of Apple pay to consumers and um, the you know the kind of ridiculousness of the banks asking for um, for permission to act as a cartel or act uh, together in negotiations with Apple over their access to apple pay. now let 's think about that for a minute we 're talking about billion dollar profit based organizations wanting to sit together around a table with Apple. Now, the reason they wanted to do that was because they wanted to uh, get access to different parts of the phone technology and they wanted to get access, um, I think, to a better better deal on fees and and cost structures. So that's all well and good. It's a very squeaky, squeaky seat I'm sitting on there. That's all well and good, but really, let's be honest, they're doing very well. They don't need um, to save money. So... I was very much against that and I really think that um, those banks should lift their game and get the um, uh, get the access to Apple Pay available to people and on that basis I made a submission to um, uh, to the inquiry uh, as did many other average consumers and I think it was worthwhile doing because I think it had played a small part in the ACCC's decision. Now, what they decided last December was that they were their draft ruling was against the banks um, and the banks then kind of revised their submission this is really interesting to note the banks revised their submission to not be about fees and charges but to be about the technology the banks wanted access to the N, excuse me the nfc chip so the near field communication chip the thing that actually makes the tap and go work the banks wanted access to that physical chip on the iphone the problem is only apple wallet right one app. Only Apple Wallet has access to that chip. And the reason that is, Apple wants that to be super secure. They want the pathway to the NFC chip to be secure. They want to prevent it from having any potential for either external hacking or uh, software-based hacking. And you've got to give them some credit for holding firm on that. It's not like any other bank in the world has been given that access. So why would a few Aussie banks think that they can get that access? That's the, I think, crazy thing about this request. And so the ACCC basically noted that even if they did grant the banks the right to negotiate together, Apple would never hand over that, that access, so it was futile. But the banks basically decided that there was no great public benefit in letting the banks sit together and negotiate. So what does this mean? What now happens? Well, let's look at it. There's 40-odd banks in Australia, the small banks uh, and ANZ, who now offer Apple Pay to their consumers. And the statistics and numbers are good. Oh, I, don't, I don't think they're anything remarkable, but they're certainly very positive towards the usage of Apple Pay. Um, but really you, you need a, a mass approach to this and 65% according to the ACCC submissions or report 65% of Australians um, using credit, card, credit and debit cards With those are with the banks that are not currently on Apple Pay so it's a huge bunch of people that are missing out and I've said a million times if you want to change banks because what happens now? Are the banks just going to go oh, okay the ACCC said no and then knock on Apple's door? No way it's kind of humiliating so it could be many more months in fact it could be a year or more before the banks give in here and finally hand over um, access to apple pay to their consumers so my advice to you is as it was before if you want to use your mobile phone for payments and you have an iphone or your apple watch you got to switch banks a lot of little banks now available, little banks and credit unions, plus, of course, um, the ANZ, uh, that's the place to be. That's the place to go if you want access to uh, to Apple Pay. Sorry to be as simple as that, but that is bloody well the way it is, um, but a good outcome for, for consumers because the ACCC is looking out for you. So, um, churning through because I'm sitting in a hotel room. I don't have my studio. I'm not going to um, have a lot of time. I'm going to probably hopefully edit this at the airport before I upload and get on the plane to head back home, see my kids and my family. Um, This is a cool one. Uh, Uber have um, released uh, some information letting people know, A, about how to um, get access to lost and found, and B, some of the statistics around their lost and found. So first and foremost, I didn't know this, but if you've caught an Uber and you leave something in the car, you can actually open up the app, click menu, click help, and click report an issue with your trip. And you click on the trip that you specifically lost the item on, and you can say, I want to contact my driver about a lost item. And then you put in your phone number, and your phone will ring, and it'll be your driver, and you can then arrange to get your item that you you left in the car. It's a very cool, simple thing, and I like that. But what about this? These are the crazy things you'd never expect to be left behind. A guitar. These are things that were actually left in, in Ubers. A smoke machine, a wedding outfit, a kite, a vacuum, and a violin. Now, the most commonly forgotten items are phones. Rings, I don't know how you're losing a ring. Keys, wallet, glasses, purse, license, gloves, charger, and sunglasses. Now, on eftm.com.au, there's a bunch of other items, 45 most unique items forgotten in Ubers, but I have to tell you, paintings? A lobster? How on earth do you forget a lobster? Valuable Nordic walking poles. That's another one a back massage device, a potted plant, a dog sweater. These things were left in Ubers, folks. I don't know how forgetful you are, but I have left my suit jacket in a car. In fact, on the way to the airport here, I left my suit jacket in the car, so I had to buy a new one here in New York. Uh, The most forgetful cities in Australia, sorry, Perth, that's you, followed by the Gold Coast, Adelaide, then Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney at number six, Canberra and Hobart. They're the most forgetful. love this, the most common days to report an item as lost. Sunday, Saturday, and Friday, probably also the busiest days for Uber. Um, and, uh, and the most forgetful days in 2016, October the 30th. I mean, how good are statistics? That's just very, very cool that you can have that kind of information. So all that stats, all that data is available now at uh, eftm.com.au. Um, uh additionally there's a great story um out of domino's the pizza joint uh this time in europe now domino's uh is is a global uh business but um uh, we i think i don't think i played it on your tech life but certainly on talking technology late last year i spoke with uh the boss of domino's don may and um he uh, you know, is very passionate about his business. He's, he's a long-term, uh, like he, he grew up basically with the business. Um, he, he loves his drones and, and we talked to him about drones and the, the partnership with Flirty to Trial uh, del- drone uh, pizza delivery in New Zealand. Now, that's happening and they're, they're testing that in New Zealand still. In Europe, in Germany and Amsterdam, they're now testing uh, excuse me, robot deliveries. Now, They've got these little uh, robots, and uh, Nick Bennett with me on uh, Talking Lifestyle described it best. looks like a little esky, right? A big esky on like six wheels. Uh, And this little thing is autonomous, so you can actually, uh, it can drive itself along a footpath. So the idea here, and this is is the genius, it's not about delivering, you know, uh, 10 miles away. It's about the people that live within um, uh, a mile. Uh, or maybe a kilometer in Australia's case, of the local dominoes. And so this little robot can, like, the store can put the pizza in, close the lid, and it's locked. No one can open the thing even if they grab it off the street. But when it pulls up at your house, and here's the thing if you live in an apartment, drones are not going to work. So he pulls up at the front of the apartment. Uh, the apartment block and you go down you meet the drone or out the front of your house and you open up your Domino's app where you order the pizza and you click unlock and the thing pops open you get your pizza out and the whole idea here is, is for purely for those uh, last mile deliveries, so deliveries for people that sorry first mile deliveries, people that live close to um, uh, to the Domino's stores might start getting these deliveries. Now it is a bit far fetched. I had someone on um, Facebook say to me, oh, it's just it's just a stunt to drive up the Domino's stock price." Yeah, maybe. But Don May, uh, if you listen to him in that interview I did, is still available online. He's so passionate about it, and I firmly believe he thinks that there is a future for this stuff. Now, it doesn't mean there will never be delivery drivers again, but it certainly means that in the future um, there will be a vast array of delivery mechanisms for people when ordering pizzas. Very cool stuff. If you want to check out the photos of that little uh, little uh, little robot, DRU it's called, Drew, um, a little Domino's pizza robot, it's available now uh, up at eftm.com.au. And we do it thanks to our sponsors, Trend Micro. And they have a product called Home Network Security. Now, Home Network Security is a little box that protects your smartphones, tablets, gaming consoles, smart TVs, and other connected devices from in your home from cyber threats. So this little box, simple little thing, plugs into the power, plugs into your network. This box is able to block malicious websites on devices, including games, consoles, and smart TVs. Now, remember, what that means is um, your smart TV doesn't have any virus software on it. Your smart TV doesn't have your web filtering software. So you can actually block malicious and in, and in fact inappropriate websites um, from you know your kids' PlayStation. It can monitor and restrict the web usage of the internet for kids, so it can not only look for malicious ones but it can then restrict ones that you don't want them to access on their devices, but you don't need to install software. So if your kids have got an iPod or an iPad, you can still block websites because you're blocking the traffic in your home. It defends devices against network attacks, monitors network intrusions, and notifies when there's a risk of cybercrime. And all of this, plus it can control the usage and security of connected devices via one simple mobile app. Uh, Check it out. It's from Trend Micro. It's the home network security, Um, and it's a little box that you actually plug into your home network. It's not software that you install on any Device, Very, very cool stuff from our mates at Trend Micro. Now, I am here in New York with Samsung as a guest to Samsung, and um, I think the best advice with regards to the Samsung Galaxy S8 is uh, I think Stephen and I spent a good 40 minutes um, sitting in this very room chatting about what was announced here. But just let me um, you know, think about the context here. And today, Amazim have announced they're going to sell the thing outright, so it's, which is interesting because you don't have contracts with Amazim. So they're basically just selling a device um, with a view to making uh, money on the, on the device. But I think what they'll do is they'll, they'll be smart. They'll kind of database people and you might get offers from Amazim for your, uh, for, for your mobile uh, access in the future. Uh, also, Woolworths offering pretty good plans, but Vodafone, Optus, Telstra, uh, Virgin—the plans are very expensive for this phone. This is not a cheap phone on a plan. I think we've we've signaled the end of the you know eighty dollar plan and zero dollar handset. It's now more like a hundred, hundred and twenty dollar plan, uh, zero dollar handset. So you really have to spend some cash. But looking at the plans, you, it looks like you can get away with a you know forty dollar plan and about a forty dollar handset cost. Um, but you know the number of gigabytes you're going to get on that plan are quite low. So really, the the average user of this kind of smartphone is probably more likely to want a higher end plan with more data. I still believe, haven't spent the time. I might try and do that while I'm on the plane, doing some calculations about uh, which is the best way to buy. You know, it's a $1,200 phone up front. Um, is there value in in saving the money buying up front and and moving on from the contract uh, plans? or is the contract plan actually still the best way to go when trying to get a device like this? Um, I can't wait to get my hands on it at home, not to be honest, uh, because of the, um, the device itself, but because I really want to uh, play with this DeX. Um, and we spoke about this a bit on Two Blokes Talking Tech, and I, I put it into my story on EFTM, but DeX is a, is a computer dock. And the idea is that you get home or you get to your office and there's no laptop there, there's no computer, you haven't had to carry a laptop with you. There's a monitor, a keyboard and a mouse and this little hockey puck like decks. And you put your phone into this thing and your phone becomes a computer. And I tell you, I looked at it, I used it, and it was very, very good. Um, no, you can't run Windows. But if you're like me and you live in the cloud um, with Google and things like that, it's quite possible that you could use this as a uh, quite a hefty workload machine. You know, do Excel spreadsheets on it. you got Word. And Microsoft have actually customized their apps so that it um, – so that it really looks like the desktop version and they've also um adobe's also done some work on their apps like uh, lightroom and photoshop express to um to make them uh, a little bit more desktop like um, when when using the dex uh, docking station um so yeah pretty darn good stuff um from uh, from samsung with the dex and i think that's what's really really interesting to me it won't be you know their absolute best-selling thing it won't be the reason why people buy this phone but I'd be surprised if um, it isn't, um, I guess, an indicator to, uh, to what more people choose to do with, um, with their devices and, and what other um, companies um, do with their mobile devices because if you look five years into the future, there's no reason why anyone needs a laptop. The power that is in your mobile phone is enormous. Unless you need video and you know, high-end editing and graphics power, your phone could do everything. So the interface is what matters and I think, you know, an iPad is a great device but I think if you could plug an iPad into a monitor and get a Mac, that would be very interesting. So interesting times and a great little product from uh, Samsung. If you want more details about the big screen Samsung Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus, they're all up at eftm.com.au, photos and and whatnot, so it's all there for you to see. Um, The other one that, I put up uh, this week uh, because I saw it. I got hands on with this device uh, at the Microsoft Sydney store last week before I came to America is the Microsoft Surface Studio. So the Microsoft Surface Studio is um, a big all-in-one computer, right? Now, when we say all-in-one computer, you know what that means. It means it's really just a monitor. So think iMac. Now... The thing about the iMac is it's beautifully thin on the edges, but it all bulbs out into this big kind of, um, you know, cone-like shape because that's where the, the brains, the guts of the computer are. So what Microsoft have done is gone, so in the stand, they've put the guts. So the stand sits on the desk. There's these two beautiful chrome arms that hold up the screen, and the screen is super thin. It's like five, six millimeters, and it just moves fluidly with just one finger you can move it up and down go down to about 20 degree angle on a desk so people that love drawing graphic design things like that are going to love this for that reason and people that do you know uh, word and excel and other things like that will love the the upright version and and the touch screen so here's where microsoft's 10 links ahead of apple touch screen the touch screen is so so usable and we had this really weird discussion um, at the Microsoft store. The people from Microsoft were saying to me, well, you think about the number of things you do with two hands. You wash the car, you use two hands. You wash the dishes, you use two hands. We do, we're not exactly unable to use two hands at the same time. But with a computer, we end up just using a mouse. Just one, one, one hand there, just moving around the screen. Why not have a pen in one hand and what they call the dial in the other? And when you're in a, a drawing program or a painting program, and that's the one application we looked at, the dial in one hand, you're flicking through colors or, or size of the brush, and in the other hand, you've got your pen. And you actually, and I did it in, in 10 minutes, I suddenly became someone who was able to um, you know do this ambidextrous work, and it was just fluid. It really, really worked so easily. So there's a real benefit in what Microsoft done with the combination of touchscreen, dial, pen, keyboard, and mouse, plus this tiltable screen, um, I... Honestly, cannot wait to play with this device. Um, I'm going to um, try and try as I may. I'm going to try and replace my Mac with it for a month and see what I miss, see what I feel, and see how it goes. Um, I I I have good hopes, but the only issue I see right now is this whole the dial, this little, um, literally a dial that you hold in your hand, which you can put on the screen anywhere or on the desk next to you, um, is its best feature, but apps need to be built for it so photoshop and uh, audition and premiere apps which i use from adobe don't yet have uh, dial customizations that would be sensational for me and i think i wonder whether or not my experience will be stilted by the fact that i use those apps so much so i have to wait and see how that pans out but um, it is a beautiful looking device now there's three variants coming to australia um, there is a 8 gigabyte of RAM version with an Intel Core i5 processor, one terabyte hard drive. Price yourself, you might need to be sitting down for this, $4,700. There is a 16GB of RAM uh, Core i7 processor version with one terabyte hard drive, $5,500. And the top of the line one is a 2 terabyte hard drive, 32 gigabyte of RAM, Intel Core i7 processor, $6,600. So that is not cheap. And I think, again, I'll do some comparisons, but like for like, your, um, your iMac's going to be cheaper than that, I'm pretty sure. Um, now, they are different devices. The iMac doesn't offer some of the things this does, but the problem for Microsoft is that's who they're competing with. So I don't know how a you know, graphic design general manager is going to go, yeah, yeah, we'll just spend an extra couple of grand for everyone on these. That's a lot of money around an office. So I, I fear that Microsoft will struggle under the weight of that pricing, but perhaps as with the original Surface tablets, perhaps in time, you know, in two generations of this device, the prices will come down and um, they'll find a way to amortize that out, I guess, across, um, across things. So, Interesting stuff, uh, but as I said, I've taken some photos, they're up at EFTM.com.au. It is beautiful device, um, well worth popping into the Microsoft store in Sydney if you are if you live in Sydney uh, because it's beautiful, really, really nice to look at. And that tilted screen is fantastic. Uh, all that details at EFTM.com.au. Now, our sponsors Garmin uh, still make great uh, satellite navigation units for your car, and their latest Drive Smart range. Offer Wi-Fi, smart notifications, Bluetooth hands-free calling, voice-activated navigation, live parking information and live traffic information. So stay connected and increase situational awareness with Garmin DriveSmart. The GPS navigator features helpful driver alerts and built-in Wi-Fi for easy software and map updates when you're home. It also includes Bluetooth hands-free calling and on-screen smart notifications so you're always hands-on on the wheel garmin drive smart is preloaded with detailed maps of um of australia plus live traffic and uh, and a whole range of other features so check out the garmin drive smart range Um, they are beautiful devices these days they're so thin the screens it's like the samsung galaxy s8 the screens are getting bigger within the same size package the bezel around the screen is continuously getting smaller you can check those out anytime you like uh, on their website garmin.com.au Now, um, here's a company I never thought would get into the smart home, Ikea. Now, instead of uh, buying flat pack furniture, um, Ikea are are about to launch in a year. I mean, it's a very weird announcement, but I assume they announced this because the products are available in in, in other markets. They wanted to flag that it's coming to Australia, I don't know, to get people excited or something. But essentially, they've come up with a range of smart home lighting solutions. Now, I'm going to say right from the outset, anyone that knows um, the smart home stuff I've talked about in the past, think Philips Hue. So Philips Hue is what I've got at home in some of my areas in my office for a start in the studio. There's light strips, there's bulbs, there's everything. Um, It allows you to have colored lights. Um, You can control them through an app. But One of the things Philips did uh, recently with their Hue 2.0 was you could go to a store and buy a bulb with a switch. And what the, You put the bulb in and it's paired with the switch, so you don't, you don't ever need to connect that bulb to your Wi-Fi network. You don't ever need a smartphone. You can have new levels of control just with that smart switch. So you can have dimming, for example, it's just out of the box, dimming on a light without getting an electrician involved. Then you buy other lights, you buy the hub, and you start to connect things and really create um, some workflows around your lights. So that's, a, I mean, I've got to be honest, that's what it looks like to me from Ikea is they've got a kinetic switch, which is, um, you know, power, um, no powered buttons for the lights. Um, they've got light bulbs, uh, they've got sensors, and they've also got these wall panels, which kind of look like picture frames, but they, they light up. I don't quite know where you use those, but maybe you put them on the roof and just create light. I, I don't know, but they, look, they do look very impressive, but these things are going to not be available, until 2018. So um, unless we can get our hands on them earlier to get a test in place, I don't know why we're even um, made aware of it now, but maybe that'll become obvious to us uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Now, I was sitting in Melbourne last week, I'll tell you about Hisense in a minute, and I saw this tweet about a real-time transport map. Now, you may not live in Sydney, but it's fascinating regardless um, to have a look at what this guy's done. Uh, a guy called uh, Ken Sang, uh, who is a Sydney programmer? He does some work with uh, I think finder He works uh, or goes to the University of New South Wales. He's a genius, and he's created a real time map of Sydney's transport system. Now, to make to put this in perspective, Transport New South Wales, the you know the government body that runs our public transport. Um, Created an open data policy, so basically all of our public transport is equipped with uh, connected technology that you know, GPS and connectivity, so that at all times they know where the things are. But then they open that data up, so that app developers, for example, could um, create a transport app that says that your bus is three minutes away, or it's running ten minutes late, or you know those kind of things, because hey, that information is really helpful. And so you'll see that a lot in transport app like TripView that you can actually now um, see. Um, you know, distance time and stuff like that about your um, about your public transport. Um, so basically what he's done is he's created an interface to every single bus, every single train, every single tram, every single ferry, and you can put it all on my map. Now you can zoom into an area and just see the things in your area. You can um, only see buses and not trains if you want, but when you turn it all on, it's intense. You know, wow, the scale of the public transport is... Uh, just overwhelming, I just think it's so cool to look at it. and if you're a bit of a, uh, I guess, data nerd or public transport nerd really, really worth a look I've put a few photos of the maps up at eftm.com.au but also um, if you want to check it out it's, it's called AnyTrip uh, and the website I think is anytrip.com.au really, really cool stuff um, as I said, transport nerds or, um, I don't know, data nerds you're going to love that one now, the reason I was in Melbourne last week was for the Formula One Grand Prix, but uh, I went down there with Epson and then with Hisense. Now, I should have a drink because I'm talking so much, as you well know. It's just me rabbiting onto you. Um, so These remote sessions don't allow me to play Stings to at least break up my monotony. Um, I was down there with Hisense. Now, Hisense had a lot of success last year. Now, you remember their um, Series 7 is what they call it, Series 7 ULED TVs. I was a massive rap on it. Unbelievable TV for the price. Um, I've said before, probably not the best-looking TV on the market, but, geez, if you can pick a problem with it, I'd be amazed. And the price, phenomenal. Like, you're talking about $1,500, I think, for a 55-inch ULED TV back in the day. So that was about a year ago. So what they've done this year is they've decided to bring They're Series 8 and Series 9 TVs to Australia as well. So they're trying to bring more premium um, product to market. A couple of interesting things about that. Firstly, I think Samsung are absolutely packing it because I understand that uh, six of the last seven months of 2016, Hisense was the number one TV brand in the country. Now, just think about that for a second. Samsung has had market lead by a long way for some time and according to information i was given high sense was number one six out of seven months and apparently if you wanted a tv in december you could have got great deals on samsung's because they were you know working with the retailers to bring down their prices so their series eight and nine tvs by bringing them to market here's what they do when you walk into a harvey norman store and you say i'm willing to buy a new tv he said like a 65 inch. They say here's a here's an LG and here's a Samsung for, you know, four thousand dollars. And then they say here's a Hisense for two thousand dollars, two, two and a half thousand dollars. And you look at the sales rep and you go, that must be cheap. What's that crap? He goes, No, no, it's good. Yeah. I'll take the I'll take the LG. wise, because you can afford it. That's great. But if you can't afford it, you look at that going, Is it is it any good? Is it okay? So here's what you do. You bring in the series eight and nine, and the sales rep says, Well, here's the best of everything, and uh, you know Samsung and LG have, you know, expensive TVs. LG have, uh, sorry, Hisense have expensive TVs, but not as expensive. So you bump up the top end price of your product, make the perception be that you do have expensive products, and thus um, still drive people to the cheaper ones as well. So here's how it's going to work: the 55-inch Series 8, for example, is going to be three thousand dollars. 65-inch Series 8, four thousand dollars. 75-inch Series 9. $8,000, and the massive 85-inch Series 9 TV, $11,000. Now, they are still great prices, okay, $11,000 for an 85-inch TV, so that, that begs that whole question again, what are you going to get for your $11,000? Are you going to get the you know 65-inch in another brand, or are you going to go 85 inches, go big or go home? really really interesting um strategy and structure those tvs won't land until the middle of the year so we won't really know whether we're getting any cut through until you know june or july but uh we shall watch with great interest uh to see how that pans out um in the in the year ahead so uh cracking stuff from hisense uh it was lovely to be down there they're sponsors of the red bull racing team so you know you're never going to get a complaint from me about um getting to spend some time in the garage of the um of the Red Bull racing team. It was unbelievable what we got to see down there. Alcatel are great sponsors of the program, and this year they're going to have a really simple lineup for you to see and understand. Uh, The A5, the A3, the U5, and the A3XL. So the U5 is their entry-level product. Um, They used to have names like Pixie Pop, but U5 means universal access. It means everyone should be able to access a smartphone with these features. It's got a great camera. It's got a great operating system. It's got a good screen. It's a great little phone, but it'll be affordable. Then you've got your A3 and your A5. These are a different level of quality and performance, um, you know, ramping it up a bit there. So I think what you'll find from Alcatel, these products won't get into market for some months. But what you're going to see from Alcatel this year from what I've seen thus far is a brand new range of products from everything from $99 right up to kind of $600. And when $600 is your premium, you have the sense challenge that I was just talking about. Are they a cheap phone? Is this a cheap product? Is it a low cost, low low quality product? No, the reason is to, Alcatel is a huge organisation. They have a factory where they design, engineer, build, and ship. So they, they do it all in one place. They do it all themselves under their own roof. They're not outsourcing their mobile phone manufacturing to a uh, you know another manufacturer, another company. They do it all themselves, so they do make great quality stuff, and that's how they're able to keep the prices so affordable. Um, A5 LED is a cracking great little product. Their website is alcatel-mobile.com forward slash AU. If you just search for Alcatel Mobile Australia, you will find them. The All Tech Life episode 360, thank you for your patience, thank you for listening, and as I said before, um, really keen to hear from you about the show. Um, This is not a standard show, let's be honest, this is not a standard show, we would normally spend a bit more time on everything and there would be different production values of course, but I figure I'm in New York and look at it, it's just terrible outside, I can only see like 10 blocks away. Um, as I look out the window, it's awful. The weather's awful. Um, but no, this is not a standard show, I'll be honest, but many shows may uh, just involve me updating you on tech news that I haven't covered with Two Blokes Talking Tech. Um, uh, some great interviews, of course, um, and hopefully we'll keep getting back to your calls when, I, when I'm when i able to get to them um, during daytime hours, making those calls and getting in touch with you. So if you can spare me five minutes, I will get you on the phone and we'll help you out with any tech question you've got. Uh, EFTM.com.au to send those through Uh, and uh, again a quick plea before i tell you about two more great little uh, tech stories Um, jump on the itunes store leave a rating for the show um, five stars preferably and a little comment Um, and also if you wouldn't mind it would be do me a great favor and and service if you would uh, download and subscribe to talking technology uh, my nightly Technology Radio shows. So there are five shows a week for you to listen to. And again, there, if you go to the iTunes store, leave a rating. Um, that would be greatly appreciated. We do a giveaway every week there too. Oh, and on giveaways. Uh, like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash EFTM online. Um, facebook.com forward slash EFTM online. Just search for EFTM every Tuesday. We're doing a Facebook giveaway, so every Tuesday we launch a new competition. We've got a bunch of great prizes coming up. We've got um, routers, we've got security cameras, we've got Bluetooth speakers. We have thousands of dollars worth of prizes to give away um, to loyal and uh, and admiring fans over the weeks ahead on our Facebook page. Now, social networking and kids—those two words or three words don't really mix, but. Here's the thing, Um, I think Lego have done something very, very interesting with their new app called Lego Life. Now, the problem that they set out to answer here first and foremost was how do we get so many fans, so many of our uh, young kids that are subscribers to our magazine, printed magazine called Lego Club, how do we get them to be able to share... Their creations with us, so my ten year old makes Lego, takes a photo of it, sends it in to, to the Lego Club magazine, and never gets featured because there's you know hundreds of thousands of kids and there 's only two pages of um, creations that are listed on on the uh, on the site so how, how, how do they allow more kids to be part of what they 're doing and what they 're creating well here 's what they do they create an app and in the app you can uh, take a photo and you can send that photo up to Lego and share it with the world. Now, first and foremost, it's not your real name. You'll never see your real name listed there. You'll be given a fun code name. I think mine was Senior Silly Cloud. Um, and it randomly generates a, a name. You can keep generating a new name until you like one, but it won't have any resemblance to your real name. Secondly, when you upload a photo of a little truck or a plane that you built, it gets seen by someone, a real person, before it gets posted online. Moderation, very important. So you can't have some you know, crazy, um, you know, nerd in the basement making rude bits of Lego and sending them up to the, to the internet, they'll never get approved. Then, it's basically like Instagram for kids. There's a bunch of official Lego accounts, Lego Batman, Ninjago, all the different types of Lego have accounts and you can follow them and you can see what they're doing and they might make challenges. They say, hey, you know, create a, a Batman story. Uh, my son did a story where it was, you know, take a, take a Lego minifigure on a, on a holiday. Took like four photos, uploaded them in a series. It was very cool. If you like what you see from the Lego people, you can hit like. You can also post comments with Lego emojis and Lego stickers. Now, the Lego emojis and stickers are pre-formatted and they're all happy and positive, so there's no negativity. You can also type comments on the Lego's created stuff, but the comments are moderated. Again, moderation means nothing, nothing nasty ever gets said. On stuff that you post... People can't write comments, but they can leave stickers and emojis. It's a completely safe social network for your kids and a great way to introduce your kids to social networking because they're going to get there sooner or later, okay? They are going to be on the internet. They are going to be on Instagram. They're going to be on Snapchat. They're going to be all over the place. So probably worth you uh, dealing with that fact now. And Lego Life is the name of the app. Uh, if you want to check it out uh, and see how it works. So I'd highly recommend it. Um, but while I'm talking social networking, I uh, didn't have this on the run to talk about, but I don't know if you've noticed, but Facebook Instagram, Facebook launched stories uh, this week on um, on the app, on the mobile app. Now they had this in the Messenger app, but what they've done now is they've put it in the main app and um, they, you can now add anything you like to your story of the day. Now, um, I don't have a lot of public friends on uh, on Facebook, and they haven't launched this yet on pages, so I can't yet do a story on my Trevor Long page. I'll work out how to do that soon. But what I um, what I like is the the thing works really quickly and easily. It's front and center, and it just shows how much they are trying to beat Snapchat at their own game. Uh, this is you know one hundred percent Snapchat. And I just think it's hilarious that they're doing this this way. So um, I haven't worked out yet um, whether or not I can do it on a page, but I'm going to try, and then I'll let you know how that how that pans out, and whether or not I can um, start sharing cool stories. Otherwise, I mainly share stories on Instagram anyway. My Instagram handle is TrevorLongAU. Uh, last but not least, this uh, this episode LG's Wallpaper TV. I've been pondering this for some time. And I've got a lot of questions over the last week since the LG wallpaper TV was announced and pricing was announced for Australia. Now, this is the TV we saw at CES earlier in the year. And I said then, stunning, 2.57 millimeters thick. When it's mounted on your wall, four millimeters. So uh, there is nothing on your wall that is four millimeters thick. You, You cannot believe how good this looks. Um, the way it is just sat on your wall. And because it's OLED, the picture is stunning. The price for a 65-inch wallpaper TV, $13,500. Sounds like a lot of money, and it is. And I said this, we discussed this with Stephen Fenning, I would dearly love your views on this. If you had 15 grand, and I know that's a lot of money, would you buy a 75-inch Samsung QLED TV? best in the business, best one they've got, 75 inches. Would you buy a 65-inch LG wallpaper TV? I don't know how I would ever contemplate going 75 inches on the QLED because the simple fact this thing looks so stunning on the wall. Um, I think LG have absolutely knocked it out of the park there. But the challenge for LG, and this is kind of interesting the way I was talking about Hisense earlier, the challenge for them is how do they turn that into actual market share because let's be honest they might sell i don't know maybe they sell a thousand of these things i got no idea how many people have 15 grand to buy a tv but and remember too for the 13 and a half grand you get a massive dolby atmos soundbar like beautiful sound for 15 grand with samsung you get a tv no soundbar so i don't know how many they'll sell but even if they sell every single one they make they won't be the number one tv manufacturer in the country they need to sell tvs at all price points so i'm very interested to hear from people about your views on what TVs are getting, are taking your fancy. What TVs um, you, you're interested in. What are you hearing from your friends about TVs as well? Because to be honest, market data is not readily available in this space. So anecdotal stuff from people like you really, really helpful. Um, that is it for this week on your tech life live from New York. Uh, shout out too to Rachel Corbett who has launched a brand new podcast series called. You've got to start somewhere. Um, Just search You've got to start somewhere on iTunes or Pocket Cast. Um, First uh, three episodes are out now. I've listened to uh, uh, Whipper from from Nova uh, and uh, Merrick Watts. And the latest one I'll listen to on the plane is Sam Mack from Channel 7 um i know merrick pretty pretty well and i found that to be a a most fascinating conversation whipper i've never listened to but again it was fascinating um very media centric If, if you're at all interested in the media it's a very good insight into how some people get started in the game uh and the the hard work and hard yards that goes into it um great work from rach who's doing great stuff with podcasting and uh um it's really good to see people doing well and uh, kicking the podcast along. And that's why this podcast will never go anywhere because uh, we were almost pioneers, really. If we've, been, we've been at this for 360 episodes and almost seven years. Um, I think we're doing something right. Um, and it's, uh, it's with great appreciation that I um, say that. And hopefully you will continue to listen, continue to download, and perhaps most importantly, start sharing with your friends as well. Because one of the challenges I think podcasting has, and maybe I should uh, editorialize on this later, but... One of the challenges I think it has is um, getting new listeners. Not new listeners to uh, our to podcast, but new listeners to podcasting. Pretty confident that anyone that has a broad interest in you know, consumer technology and help and advice and support on technology is probably aware of, of or has listened to this show. But what about people who have a smartphone and do download apps? They have headphones, they have Bluetooth in their car, I mean, the people that could really benefit from, from podcasting. Think about the where you listen to podcasting, and again, I'm not asking for. Maybe I should do a survey, but I'd love to know more about where you listen, how you listen, when you listen. Because I hear from most people that it is a real. It's an in car thing, and that's the same for me. I listen to podcasts on the plane, but I always fall asleep. I don't really listen to podcasts at home. I listen when I'm in the car. It's become my car radio. So I'd be very curious to know um, from you where you listen, and I think how do we spread the word. How do we spread the word about podcasting? Um, do we need to market it better? Do we need to you know, uh, make a simple 101 on podcasting? Are people scared of podcasting? Do they think it's going to cost them a lot of money or something? How do we get more people listening to podcasts overall? An interesting challenge um, that I would appreciate your support on. But most importantly, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you to our sponsors, Trend Micro, Garmin, and Alcatel. Back again soon with another episode of Your Tech Life. I think I'll be home in Australia. Thanks for listening. Bye. Talking technology without the jargon. Your Your Tech Life. Life with Trevor Long.